Thanks to Cryo Malt, supplying Premier Malt for 25 years. This is Radio Brews News. My name's Pete Mitchum, and joining me today on the panel is James Atkinson, who is the editor of Australian Brews News, and Matt Kierkegaard, who is the former editor and founder of Australian Brews News. Gentlemen, welcome. G'day, Prof. G'day, Prof. How are you, Matt? Oh, mate, I'm good. Sorry, you introduced James first, and then you're throwing to me. Uh, uh, mate, I'm good. Good. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy... Just given the opportunity to stick your head up and say hello. Oh, <laughs> mate, I'm, I'm, I'm the shy retiring type, you forget. Um, yeah, mate, it's been a great week. Uh, we talked about last week regional flavours coming up, and that went over on the weekend. We had beautiful uh, weather during the days, and I think they're looking at maybe even cracking 100,000 through over the two days, and the hunting club was, you know, full as a goog both days. So, you know, they had lines lines out for people to get in. So that was, uh, yeah, that was excellent. Um, so, Prof, uh, the next big thing that we've got is Charlie Bamforth on the 4th of August, and then we are going straight into the ACA. So lots of busy stuff coming up. Plenty coming up, and probably a good opportunity to let our listeners who might be keen to pop up and um, join us in our podcast from the brewery rather than the podcast from the pub uh, at Newstead Brewery with Charlie Banforth that tickets are fairly limited and they probably want to get in. I don't know what uh, how the, the sales are tracking, but uh, we've just sort of made it a, you know, a cost-covering exercise there, and it's a pretty good value proposition. Probably want to get in fairly early if you do want to have a spot. Absolutely, it is, and uh, you know, like it's, it's for people who are in Brisbane who uh, want to come along. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, everyone will be able to hear uh, Charlie down at the upcoming Craft Brewers Conference in Adelaide, uh, which is his real reason for coming out. But he's uh, yeah reached out to us to do a show. So if you are in Brisbane and you want the chance to come up and have a beer with Charlie and ask him all of the questions, and he's obviously uh, had some very strong opinions recently um, that we've talked about. If you're not in Brisbane, we are for the very very first time going to be live streaming. Um, so yeah, if you if you don't catch him at the Craft Brewers Conference uh, on the fourth of August, uh, you are going to be able to. We'll put details out for it. You'll be able to sit at your home with a beer in hand and watch Pete and I have a chat with Charlie um, on Facebook. So become friends with us on Facebook, like us on Facebook, and you'll be able to. And uh, we'll also be monitoring the comments so you'll be able to uh, weigh in with any questions uh, live during the podcast. So it's very very exciting for us, so guys. Yeah, and uh, look, without wanting to, um, well, suggest that Charlie's going to perhaps do a, a Dame Nella Melba or, God forbid, a John Farnham, um, but it is possibly his last official visit to Australia. Um, he has spoken about, uh, you know, thinking about retirement and, and that sort of thing. So it'll be a great opportunity for uh, for those who, who love Charlie's work. Um, and as I say, the thing I love about working with Charlie is that the, the three events that we've done with him personally, Matt, um, he doesn't just rehash the same material. He's got a view on so many different elements of both the brewing world and outside life, particularly um, Wolverhampton uh, goalkeepers in particular is uh, one of his, his uh, areas of expertise. Um, but just the way that, that Charlie... And he's talking about... Uh... He's talking about his next book being a bodice ripper, he describes, so he may even uh, read the first chapter of that to us. Mills and Bamforth, perhaps. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, James, what have you got coming up? Well, I think we're looking down the barrel of one of the biggest weeks in beer, which is obviously um, judging for the Craft Beer Awards starts um, this weekend, and then we've got the Craft Brewers Conference next week, as well as the craft beer awards ceremony on thursday night and then friday night we've got the adelaide royal beer awards as well and then adelaide beer and barbecue fest so i'm actually going to be down 
for a full eight nights um, in Adelaide next week. It's promising to be a big one. And no pressure on you, James, but um, they'll let just about anybody uh, in it as, as an associate judge in the uh, Craft Beer Awards from this year. You looking forward to it? <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a little bit daunted as well um, because... Yeah, I just think it's going to be, you know, I, th- I think I think the actual day of the, the idea of judging beer is probably a bit more, it seems a little bit more glamorous than it is. And I think it's probably going to be pretty hard work and, and a pretty steep learning curve. Um, but yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. What's your strategy? My strategy? <laughs> um, yeah, just, just, just sit there and try and um, soak in all the knowledge from all the learned palates around me. That's it, mate. The, the first sip is the hardest. Um, we'll, we'll bring around a... Uh, a calibrator for everybody, and the first sip of that, the first thing you're going to do, whether you want to or not, is you're going to eyeball everybody else in the room. I think my biggest concern is as well that, like, I find that I take a bit of time to be able to appraise a beer, and and I'm much more sort of comfortable judging whether I like something or not by kind of sitting on it for a bit and having a few sips and, and pondering it and really letting it sink in. Um, not much opp- not not much opportunity to do that in a in, in actually judging a beer competition. You've really got to kind of make your mind up on that first sip for 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 time reasons, but also that if you're going to be really pondering every beer too much, um, it wouldn't take too long before you were feeling a bit intoxicated. No, and certainly a tie kicker um, wouldn't want to find himself on the same table as Brendan Varus, for example. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I've 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 had enough beers in the pub with Brendan to um, to know what he'd be like. <laughs> and look, the other thing too is, I guess the the um, I won't call them stinkers, but I just did. But the the beers that are perhaps clearly uh, have a a fault or or an issue, are fairly easy to to move through. It's actually sometimes the really good ones um, that you you, you want to spend a little bit more time on. But my advice to you would be the advice that I got, and that's just, just trust your gut feel. You know, just boom, beer in the mouth, good or bad. Okay, why is it good? Why why isn't it good? And, uh, and sort of take it from there. But everyone develops their own style and their own uh, method of judging. Uh, and the best thing you can do is, is, as I say, be on a table with six other judges who have done it all before. And as, as an associate, you know, there's no pressure on you. It's only once, <laughs> once you lose that associate judge title, there's a bit more, I guess, expected of you. But you can, uh, you're like a sponge and you just sort of learn from all the other judges and you find that everybody has got their own particular quirks and their different sort of styles. But speaking from uh, a back of house uh, management point of view, just don't slow things down. Just don't take too long, all right? Just, <laughs> can't, just can't, make any, can't make any promises, but I'll do my best. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get on to the news of the week. And, uh, well, it hasn't been a massive news week. Certainly a couple of the stories that have passed across our desk have uh, generated quite a bit of interest. Matt, you've been fairly intricately involved, I guess, in, in following the uh, ACCC uh, investigations over a number of years, going back to the Byron Bay Pale Lager incident um, and then right through now to the TAP contracts. And this week the ACCC came out with basically we've had a really good hard look at this and can't find anything. Yeah, Prof. And I, I mean, I have to give credit to James uh, for really following the uh, ACCC tap contracts thing up. He just happened to be in flight on his way to uh, Tasmania last weekend when the uh, decision finally dropped after three years. So that was good timing. <laughs> um, so I had to uh, put my uh, journo boots back on. But yeah, no, obviously there was a lot of disappointment that the ACCC took so long to uh, essentially do nothing. Um, and there was a lot of gnashing of teeth uh, online last week when we when we did it. Um, and this week I posted a story that was maybe suggesting that it wasn't unanimous that small brewers were as unhappy and some people saying, well, look, you know, contracts or no contracts, we need to get out and sell our beer. Yeah, what did you think of the uh, reaction, gents? Because they're, they're kind of... 
don't know, there, I guess two schools of thought. Some kind of uh, said, well, you know, what else do we expect? And others were seemed a bit uh, surprised and disappointed by the results. James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing to say there is just that the, the result of the ACCC um, investigation was predictable and we've explored the legal reasons for that previously on this program. Um, and probably just as predictable was that people were going to react in the emotional way that they have, which I think is not really grounded necessarily in any, you know, doesn't have any legal basis to, to what they're what they're saying about the ACCC's findings. So I don't know. I just I just think it's all, it was all pretty predictable that how this how this was going to play out. Yeah, and, and that was why I um, sort of looked at that article, and uh, I, I'd seen Michael McGovern from Black Ops Brewing had posted an interesting observation on uh, his Facebook page, and so I followed him up with that because I had heard you know when I was speaking to brewers seeking a um, a, a comment, you know a lot of them weren't as upset as you know the the, the independent brewers association described as a characterized it as a kick in the guts and uh, there were a lot of people who weren't actually that strong you know they may be a bit disappointed they find contracts a little bit hard but i thought michael mcgovern's uh comments were quite uh interesting and so th- then uh, chris ralton who i don't know personally but i believe works for black hops as well on the gold coast um commented when govs shared my article um, Chris Ralton chimed in with a comment saying, I don't really like being associated with a group that has been quoted as saying, we just want a fair go. It sounds like every current affair story ever. And I tend to have to agree with him a little bit on that. You know, there, there, there was a note of, as you said, James, emotion, but there was a little bit of a whingy note to it as well. A whingy note? Do you think that's a bit harsh? Uh, well, maybe, but you know, I'm just sort of echoing what Chris has said there. Um, you know, talking about the uh, current affair story. Um, and, but there, there is a little bit of we want to be protected um, was the undercurrent of it. Um, and I guess every comment that I've seen has characterised contracts as being big breweries trying to uh, squash small breweries. And I just don't think that that's actually what is happening in the marketplace. Contracts go back well before craft beer was even a thing. And it was actually about one big brewery fighting with another big brewery. An industry, the the, the hotel industry has grown up in that landscape. And the hotel industry is based around having taps paid for and, you know, financial transactions between brewers. Now, you know, you can take Muzzin's point of view and say that that's right or wrong, but that's just how it is at the moment and contracts or no contracts that is the way the hotel industry is founded we are seeing a move away from exclusive contracts we're seeing the strength of contracts lessen and you know the the ACCC wasn't speaking to craft brewers because craft brewers are pretty much going to say yeah we would prefer there's no contracts the ACCC went out and spoke to hoteliers as well and the hoteliers were saying we don't feel pressured by the big guys and everything that I'm hearing in the marketplace is that it is the pub owners that are the ones that are asking for the contracts, not the big brewers coming in and using their clout to force them on hoteliers. And, you know, look, I personally think that the market for craft beer is still overestimated and that if there is demand for craft beer in the marketplace, publicans will be putting it on. But, you know, I really get the feeling that some brewers want to blame publicans for the lack of market demand for independent craft beer and they expect publicans to use their businesses to create the market for them. Publicans have their own problems, and, and I don't see craft brewers doing a lot to help them. So, so yeah, so 
whingy note possibly, but I, I, I think there is so much more involved in this discussion than big brewers using financial muscle to squash small brewers. Uh, I think if nothing else, the story um, and the traction that it's gained through Brews News and uh, Crafty picked it up. And I think um, a lot of time, Luke Robertson may have even uh, weighed in as well. If nothing else, I guess it's highlighting the issue. So win, lose or draw, the issue is out to perhaps a, a wider audience than it would have been beforehand. So maybe publicans are now, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I need to rethink this. And, and maybe brewers are saying, well, OK, it is what it is. What do I need to do to compete on quality, you know, rather than you know, what I can offer? Yeah, exactly. And, and look, we exist in a bubble. And, you know, for every guy posting a photo of Pliny the Elder on some Facebook group talking about craft beer, there are 10,000 people who just want a beer in the pub and aren't particularly fussed. If there is demand for independent craft beer, publicans will put it on. And I think brewers need to get out there and create that demand for it. You know, it's as simple as they can't shunt that responsibility onto, onto brewers. And, uh, you know, it, it, it does come down to everyone says, oh, look, you know, everyone wants independent craft beer. If you ask somebody in the street, you know, would you prefer that there was more independent breweries? They'd say yes. But you need to look at what their actions are, not just what they're saying, because saying something is easy. Actually giving them a reason to go out of their way to buy something is something else entirely. And that's where concrete demand is different from this nebulous uh, desire for craft beer. So, so that's one arm uh, of the argument. But the other side is we've got a record number of craft breweries, um, as I made the point um, in my article, um, and I'd be interested to hear, Prof, whether you got a uh, phone call from Muzzin. In the same week that Muzzin from Hawkers was you know, calling the ACCC toothless tigers, he was also out telling everybody how rapid his growth was, and he actually described his biggest problem as managing his growth. It wasn't, oh, my biggest problem is trying to find places to sell my beer, and contracts are killing my business. He came out and said his biggest problem was managing his growth. And I sort of think, well, choose which message you actually want to sell there. Uh, four. Oh, you got four phone calls from him? Okay. Four phone calls this week, yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of numbers, because I'm sure we'll probably pick up on the uh, more about the TAP contracts and the ACCC, uh, James and I are heading across to the Craft Brewers Conference in Adelaide at the end of this week and the beginning of next week, uh, depending on when we're heading over. And uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty more to discuss there. But James, did you anything else on that before we move on? Yeah, one of the um, coolest features that we did last year was, for the first time, I think we got Brett Stubbs to review the number of brewery openings that that there were during 2016 and do a bit of an end-of-year report. And we arrived at a figure of 48 breweries that opened last year. And then with the um, assistance of Brews News readers, we then revised that to 51, which was a record uh, number of brewery openings last year. And we've actually, because there were so many, I decided to say to Brett, look, would you be interested in doing a half-yearly report in 2017? It'll probably make the workload, you know, a little bit less for you. And I'm sure people will be interested to see how things have gone in the first six months of this year. Guys, what would your predictions be of whether we would have seen in the year to date more or less brewery openings than in 2016? Yeah, I would have said fewer. Yeah, I've got a feeling, I'm hearing a lot of people planning on it um, in terms of actual openings. I'd say we're probably just a little bit behind uh, last year. Yeah, well, you guys are more on the money than I was. I was of the belief that this year would break last year's record, which was just kind of a gut feel based on 
trying to keep tabs on everything that was opening and feeling like it you know, was more difficult this year than it was last year. But yeah, Brett's got a provisional total that he's come up with for the first six months. I'm not going to steal the thunder on what that is because we're both just working on refining that and seeing whether there's any that he might have missed before we go public with it. But it is going to be slightly down on last year. And unless there's, in his words, an improbably large number that end up in the second half of the year, then it probably will be slightly down on last year's number of openings, but still, you know, one of the record numbers of brewery openings that Australia's seen. And while we're on numbers, Matt, throw some numbers at us. Hey, uh, sorry, just before we do that, I just want to go back to uh, finish off the, the the contracts thing. You know, you guys have left me out there hanging without giving your own opinions on uh, contracts. And Prof, uh, w- what did Muzzin have to say in his many phone calls? Uh, nothing about contracts, actually. It was all separate things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, what do you guys think about the contracts thing, or what I was saying about craft brewers need to uh, create a bit more demand for themselves? Yeah. Look, I, I think the real, I mean, the really the, the biggest point to make now is just it's just time to get on with it. I mean, there's plenty of breweries that have been opening, uh, well, 50, 51 of them last year, in fact, that did so with contracts in existence in the marketplace. So if they launch these ventures on the basis that they're expecting something's going to change, then I would have thought that was a pretty risky endeavour indeed. So I think contracts are here to stay for at least the next few years. You know, let's get on with it. And as you say, focus on building brands and and giving those publicans a reason that they actually have to put your beer on tap. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I have to say that like the, the, the comments I make that sound a little bit harsh, but it's because, you know, I've been out asking publicans and I've been banging on about uh, contracts for years and I've gradually softened as I see the, the practical realities of it. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just give uh, one example. Um, one of the places that really pioneered craft beer in Queensland was the Spotted Cow in Toowoomba. Um, and the Curry family uh, sort of did that. It was the first place you could go. I used to drive two hours west to Toowoomba to get craft beer. It was where Ian Watson, who's now brewing um, at Slipstream, has brewed and others, he got a start as their you know, first Australian beer sommelier, all of those things. They have actually gradually gone back to more contracted taps because for all of the work that they've done, you know, as, as more craft beer venues have popped up in Toowoomba, they haven't had been the only ones to have a demand, and they found that you know there wasn't demand to build their business around craft beer. Now this is a family that pioneered craft beer, has a real sympathy for it, and are still saying, well, look, we can't base our business on the demand for craft beer. Um, and then Maddie Curry, who was the, the the son of that family, pioneered craft beer in Brisbane at a um, bar called uh, Platform Bar, did a fantastic job there. It wasn't his pub. As soon as he went off and bought his own pub on the way to the Gold Coast, despite all of his love for craft beer and all he did to champion it, he contracted with one of the, the, the big two because he didn't feel that there was demand that he could build his business on. And they're the sorts of things I see over and over and over again. There are small bars that have popped up dedicated to craft beer, but that is their reason for being. And their point of difference is that they had craft beer. But you know what? There's a lot of small bars in Brisbane dedicated to craft beer that are struggling in Brisbane. You know. So anyway, that was my thing. I mean, I'm really interested to hear what you guys think because uh, I'm not supporting contracts, but I'm just saying that they're a pragmatic reality even now in the marketplace. And uh, there don't seem to be too many people who are putting their head above the parapet um, to say anything other than, you know, the ACCC should have done something. Crickets. Crickets. Yep. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Prof? Uh, sorry, I've just come out of some sort of time warp. Didn't we already talk about contracts and then we move on to the next thing? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I talked about contracts. You guys both uh, put your head in the sand and refused to say anything <laughs> interesting. 
It's called being a diplomat. (laughs) Shit, we haven't even got up to the snark segment yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because people tune in each week to hear us, uh, you know, sing Kumbaya. (laughs) No, I can tell you now they don't. They want less Kumbaya and more of this shit. But, <laughs> well, yeah, so, so, Prof, what, so what, I mean, what do you think, Prof? I mean, you, you, mate, you've been around again since uh, before craft beer was a thing. Do you think that if suddenly tap contracts were uh, banned, you know, if the ACCC said no more tap contracts, what do you think would have changed? You know, do you agree that the industry is actually built around those financial incentives and that even if there were no tap contracts, we would see a fairly extended period of market readjustment? Yeah, look, there was probably a time when, yeah, it was all about big bars with lots of taps and, and you'd have contracts. Now I think the smart breweries are the ones who are going out to RSLs or SSNA clubs or, uh, you know, bowls clubs and things like that and, um getting them to, to get their beer on tap. Don't don't fight a battle that you can't win or that, you know, at the end of the day, somebody's always going to have more to offer. Just concentrate. I think we just need to concentrate on making the best beer that we can possibly make, giving that beer a, uh, an opportunity to, to tell its story and, and speak for itself. Um, but I think realistically, we're just going to have to let this thing grow from, you know, whatever it is at the moment, 3%. It's going to have to grow organically, but I think good beer will, will win out. Is that all right? Well, I, I think it will. Yeah, no, look, I, I think it will. And, but, I, you know, I think there are a lot of guys who have entered the market recently that want to pick the low-hanging fruit. Um, and, you know, they want to sell their beer to bars that are specialising in craft beer that are doing the rotating taps. And, you know, Prof, you and I spend a lot of time going outside of the metropolitan craft beer bubble and, uh, you know, going out to regional towns and trying to get beer. And, you know, I approach a lot of breweries and sort of saying, look, I'm going out, I'm doing it at my own expense, I'm doing a tasting, would you kick in some beer? And the answer that you often get is, actually, well, we're not in, interested in selling into that market or, you know, they're not going to buy our beer afterwards. And, you know, I, I don't see a lot of the small breweries investing in broadening the beer church. They all want to play in the cool kids' pool. They all want to be in the cool kids' bars, but they're not actually investing. And yet it's guys like, it's the guys who are doing well and growing well, like the Pirate Lifes, the Stone and Woods, the Bolters, who are out there developing new markets for beer, and it's probably, and, and I'm sure Muzzin's doing the same with Hawkers, but they're, you know, they're the guys that are actually creating a bigger market um, for everyone to play in. So I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. And, and I, look, I, I think contracts ultimately do damage the market, but they are a practical necessity in the market until uh, we force change. Crickets again. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think on that one. Okay. All right. We're gonna keep moving. Um, numbers. We've got numbers music. We can put a little, you know, we send out oh. a um, something about numbers each week. So maybe Freya can come up with a, a nice little jingle intro. Matt, tell us about numbers. Yeah, my, uh, just uh, something I noticed as we were sitting down to record this podcast that uh, during the week we had our hundred thousand podcast download. Yeah. yeah, and that's gone very, very quickly because I think it was only uh, last year after doing this for seven years that we um, celebrated going over 50,000 prof. It, it wasn't that long ago. So, you know, being regular and having some production value seems to be only helping. There you go. That's See, awesome. you, you create a good product and the market will, will find you. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done, Prof, yes. Plus, good luck us trying to contract out this shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. 
Um, okay, actually, Prof, the only other thing I wanted to say is uh, during the week I dropped the little video that I shot with HPA back in January um, about hop breeding, which was fascinating. They, they wanted to, you know, it was something that we were looking at doing a story on, um, and so we went down and, and filmed some information talking to Dr. Simon Wittick, uh, who we've had on the podcast before, about hop breeding, which was, uh, it was really interesting. And uh, actually, I, I don't mind admitting, like, not only did I learn a lot, um, you know, I've always described hops as flowers. Hops are actually a fruit. Did you know that? Yeah, I think it was kind of referred to because they are flower-shaped and because they sort of, you know, hang, they're not there at the, at the start and then when the uh, getting close to harvest, they kind of bloom. So I guess we kind of throw that, that name in. But, yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, well, technically a banana is a herb, but you know what? I'll put it in a fruit salad rather than, you know, on top of a steak. <laughs> no, 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 I, I know that. But, no, I was just making the point that it was interesting because I'd always uh, actually thought of them as uh, flowers, but the flowering takes place much earlier and the hop breeding process is, you know, like it takes over 10 years to bring a hop-like galaxy uh, Morella to the to the fore and uh, that was yeah so anyway if you want to see me doing my very best landline impersonation it's a seven minute video talking and learning all about the hop breeding program and we might put a link into it in the show notes yeah better chill two beers before we sit down for that one uh anything else news wise seven minutes have we got any cards and letters uh no we didn't get any uh cards and letters this week oh i did oh did you okay Uh, James Davidson from Bright Brewery, although to protect his uh, privacy, we'll call him Mr. J. Um, he said, <laughs> "Too late." <laughs> I've noticed. I've noticed that you guys are getting a little bit too much kumbaya. So I don't know whether we need to create some friction, or um, I know Matt, you gave us the opportunity there, but you know I don't want to rehash the the contracts thing. But um, so you know, that that was his, you know, for what it's worth. Okay, that's uh, well. There you go. I mean, I, I wasn't aware of that when I. Uh, there's um, a change in those. the dynamic the, with the, with the three of us. There's just been he's, he's noticed a, a shift in a dynamic. So if any other listeners have got any constructive criticism, fire it our way. You know the regular channels how to get it to us but i mean prof and james i'll also add this that it's look listeners we all know that i go on you know hopefully that's part of the rustic charm of the podcast if not please let us know but you know james and uh, prof you don't have to agree with me and uh, if i'm wrong call me out on it when i go off on these little uh, ranty tanties yeah i mean sometimes i just don't really take a really strong opinion on something one way or another uh so I'll, I'll keep James's feedback in mind, though, and I'll, I'll try and stick my neck out a bit more. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for from uh, Matt Throwstones Kierkegaard and James Splinterass Atkinson <laughs> for this week. <laughs> uh, anything else, boys, to add before we go? No, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good, Prof. Uh, James, you've already given us one, uh, what we call in the, uh, in the biz, uh, a teaser in terms of the uh, Brett Stubbs report that is about to come out. But um, could you give us perhaps a little bit of a teaser about what people can expect and enjoy this week when they pop over after listening to Radio Brews News to Beer as a Conversation? Yeah, well, I had the idea of having a chat with Sterling Howland, who is co-founder of Bolter Brewing. And everyone knows a lot about the famous surfers behind Bolter, but Sterling's kind of the branding uh, mastermind who's mates with those guys who they called on to help bring the brand to life. Um, so... He has some really interesting views um, on how beer is branded that I think, you know, someone only someone with fresh eyes could could have. So it's a really interesting chat. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, well, Matt, 
James, thank you very much for uh, making this episode of Radio Brews News uh, whatever it is that it ended up turning out to be. And uh, to all our listeners, keep on listening and we'll uh, be right back at you again next week with more of the same and then some different stuff. Whenever we're sitting and having a beer, you have opinions. As soon as there's a microphone in front of you, it's uh, all Gary good guy. No, not at all. I have opinions. <laughs> but I thought, you know, dead horse was flogged. It was still dead. It wasn't going to get any deader. <laughs> so flogging the dead horse? Do you agree or do you disagree? If you disagree, I'd love to hear your points because, you, you know something, I'm, I'm not always right. <laughs> Even I don't think that. And we're out.